welcome, audit enthusiasts and fellow Austinites, to another episode of Audit ATX. The podcast that dives deep into the audits and investigations our office does to make Austin better for all residents. From the office of the City Auditor, we're your hosts, Ryan and Max. Welcome back to Audit ATX, everyone. Today, we're switching things up a little bit, and I'm being joined by my new co-host and auditor, Ryan Sperlin. Ryan has been a part of our podcast team for several months now, and will be making his debut today as a host. So welcome, Ryan. Why don't you go ahead and get us started? Thanks, Max. I'm happy to be here. So this week, Audit ATX is interviewing the Chief of Investigations, Brian Malloy, about the Office of the City Auditor's investigation into misuse at Austin Public Health, or APH. Thanks for being here, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast, so very excited to join you guys today. And to start us off here, Brian, would you mind giving us a quick overview of the investigation into Stefan Bryant's alleged misuse of city resources here, and also what prompted this investigation in the first place? Sure. This came in as an allegation to our fraud, waste, and abuse team, and it was uh, misuse of city resources. That's one of our most common allegations. And when we have a misuse allegation, we like to make sure we're looking at a situation that'll be a material violation of city code. And we really like to focus on misuse for profit. So we want to see cases where people are misusing the city resources to like advance either another business they work for or some other endeavor that's motivated by making more money. We think that's a situation where the motivations are so strong that both the misuse city resources will justify a violation of city code if the evidence is there. In this case, Stephen Bryant, he worked at Austin Public Health, and it was alleged from the start that he was misusing city resources for a business that he owned. And as we looked into it further, we ended up finding evidence that substantiated that violation that he was misusing his city computer and internet for two consulting companies, one that he owned and then another one that he performed work for, and that he was also misusing city resources to try to get jobs outside the city. You mentioned that Bryant misused his city laptop for running consulting businesses as well as performing job searches during work hours. Could you just provide some more details on the extent of this misuse and its impact on his work performance? Sure. The extent of the misuse was measured in the amount of documents we actually found on his city computer when we did a forensic search of his computer using very tailored search words to try to only pick up documents that were related to his non-city business here. And we found 40 documents on his city computer that were related to these two consulting businesses, and then 26 other documents that were related to him trying to get jobs that were outside of the city. So in total, it was 66 documents. And besides them just being on his city-issued computer, the metadata on these documents indicated that he was working on them, using them during his normal Austin Public Health shift, which is 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Monday through Friday. And 43 of the 66 documents actually show that he was modifying them or working on them during his normal work shift. Gotcha. And after reading this report, it was interesting to me to see that Stefan Bryant had admitted to some of the allegations that were brought up during his subject interview. What reasons did he provide to explain his misuse of the city laptop? Max, you're correct. He did admit to misusing his city time and the city laptop to work on his documents for his consulting business and his job search. He didn't really give a detailed rationale for why he did it. He did apologize for misusing the city resources, the laptop and the time. But in the moment, he really just didn't think it was that big of a deal. The report cites city code violations related to misuse, 
Just for some more context, could you explain these violations in more detail and the potential consequences for individuals found in violation? Sure. For this particular investigation, there was only one city code that was violated, and that's the misuse of city resources. And that basically says no city employee or official can use city resources for personal benefit in any manner that a member of the public couldn't also use those city resources. So that means like a city official or employee can go use a city library and can go take out books because any member of the public can go do that. What you can't do is use a city resource that a general member of the public doesn't have access to for personal purposes. And then we really try to hone in on activities, misuse that are going to be related to activities or employment that generates income for the individual. And so the consequences, anytime you violate city code, it's pretty serious consequences for employees across the city. The range of consequences can vary depending on how long the misuse is going on, what's the extent of the misuse. But the high end is termination. In this particular case, Bryant had actually left the city already. So he didn't face any disciplinary action on the city's end because he had ended his employment with the city by the time the city would have been making a decision about disciplinary action. But any range of disciplinary action was on the table for a city code violation. That's interesting. And I know city code can be a little bit tricky to navigate. So thank you for that breakdown on the misuse provisions of city code here. Now, in the appendix of the investigation report, Bryant provided the subject response. How did his response align with the findings of the investigation? And more importantly, did he provide any additional insights that weren't covered in the report? So he provided a response, but he did take issue with us, including some witness testimony in our report about him taking calls related to his secondary employment during his work hours when he was supposed to be in meetings with coworkers or having documents up on his computer screen when he was supposed to be having meeting with his awesome public health coworkers. And so I think what he focused on in his response was the phone calls. And it appears he just didn't like that being cited in the report because he doesn't remember being questioned about it at his interview. It's my understanding that we did bring up phone calls during his interview. So that was addressed with him when we had a chance to speak with him. But I guess he just didn't remember it by the time he was writing his response. And then he tries to say that even if he was misusing city resources, he still got his job done. I think that's an accurate summary of his response. But it just didn't present us with any new arguments or new evidence to make us have to do any follow-up work or write a more in-depth response to his response to support our findings. Since he didn't present anything knew we felt our report stood. So can you elaborate a bit on the process of responding to subject responses and the criteria for evaluating their validity? Sure. Whenever we get a subject response, we, you know, we take it very seriously. We want to analyze that response and see if there's anything new in there that we need to take into account or reevaluate the findings or the evidence we use to support our findings in our report. And really at the heart of that review, we want to see is the subject making any new arguments that weren't presented to us before or presenting any new evidence that we hadn't thought of or weren't made aware of or didn't discover during our own investigation. And is that new evidence or are those new arguments something that we can do follow-up work on? to verify or disprove. And if there is new evidence or new arguments, we'll take the time to investigate what these new arguments are, see if we can find supporting evidence or see if we can find evidence that makes these new arguments seem like they don't hold water. Or if new evidence is presented, we just try to independently verify that evidence because, you know, an email looks real that comes from a subject doesn't mean it actually is real. You can falsify or make a lot of fake versions of things 
records online pretty easily. So we would independently try to find that new email or that new piece of evidence that is submitted and then go back to our analysis of the evidence and see if our findings still stand. In this case, we didn't have anything new. There was no new evidence. There was no new arguments. Really, he just seems to not remember that we asked him about phone calls. And so he doesn't like that phone calls are mentioned in the report, but that's nothing new. That's not a new argument or new evidence. So we got to go with our most simple version of a response, which is we reviewed these arguments and we believe our findings stand. Overall, in your opinion, what lessons can organizations take from this case to prevent similar misuse of resources by their employees? A lot of it comes down to education. You got to make sure employees know what the rules are, especially for really common violations like misuse. Year over year, it's one of the most common allegations we get. And every year there are more than one, at least, substantiated report about someone misusing city resources for their personal benefit. So you need to educate employees that this is a rule and that it's a rule that we take seriously and that we have a whole team at the auditor's office dedicated to investigating violations like this. Staff by very smart people who will find the evidence if you violated city code and it will turn into a public report. And if you do that enough, if you make sure people understand what the rule is and what they're not allowed to do and that there is a mechanism for investigation and then enforcement, hopefully you'll dissuade people or prevent people from being tempted to do it if they do have secondary employment. Beyond that, you want to make it easy for employees to declare secondary employment so that their department knows about it and therefore scheduling can allow for it. So you don't put people in the bind. They may have two jobs that are legitimately don't present a conflict of interest, but that aren't working at the same time. As long as various departments are willing to accommodate their employees in a way that makes sense for the employee and the department, hopefully we're creating a situation where people who choose to have secondary employment can do so without using city resources or without developing conflicts with their schedules. I think that's the biggest lesson. Brian, thank you so much for joining us again on Odd ATX and hope to have you back again soon. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Max. Thanks for listening to this episode of Audit ATX. This report is available on our website at austintexas.gov auditor. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Austin Auditor. And subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Until next time. Bye-bye.